When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning. How are you? Would you like some good news to kick off the conversation today? I think so. Join together for Joey. You remember the campaign to raise more than €300,000 for a little boy from County Offaly who needs life-saving surgery? Well, they have shared the following update. The best news, they say. Joey's medical team have been in touch over the weekend and Joey is getting his chance in early April and we will be leaving as a family at the end of March for the pre-op evaluations and assessments. All preparations are now underway for a life-changing family adventure to Chicago. We honestly cannot thank each and every one of you enough. This would not have been possible, and in such a short time, without your help. Joey is getting his chance. Thank you for joining together for Joey. Well done. That is fantastic. And more than €300,000 raised, mainly here in the Midlands, in a very, very short space of time. Now, also on the agenda today, taking a look at the former mother and baby home in Ross Cray and three anomalies, that's what they're being described as, three anomalies have been found in the earth in the latest scan. We'll tell you what that likely means in around 15 minutes. The man who has donated 9,000 saplings so that Ireland grows more trees. What gave him this idea? And a landmark case for a man from Tumivara fighting for justice against the Department of Social Protection. His story coming up in just over an hour's time. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103 powered by Land Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Let's take a look at the front page stories in the newspapers. New law to force pharmacies and supermarkets to accept cash. That's the main story on the Irish Independent today. Grocery shops and pharmacies will have to accept cash as part of a new plan to keep money in the physical economy, it says. We mentioned yesterday this access to cash memo will also require banks to have a minimum number of ATMs per head of population. Now, I suppose the talking point will be, why just grocery shops and pharmacies? Is there a case for all businesses to accept cash? Or at least, is there a case for a longer list than just pharmacies and grocery stores? Have your say on that. You also see... Brilliant picture, actually, of Brendan Hallen. Good morning, Brendan. He's clearing the trees outside his house in County Longford after Storm Isha wreaked havoc across the country and Storm Jocelyn is coming in, hot on her heels. And there's obviously still loose debris and loose branches hanging from those trees across the region. So if you see anything that could be treacherous, a little bit later, it'll be mid-afternoon when Storm Jocelyn reaches her peak. I suppose now is the time to deal with it or bring it to the attention of your local authority. Let's move to the Irish Times. Ian Bailey, the subject here. DPP will make final decision on Ian Bailey 
as suspect, it says. So Garda sources have indicated a new file on the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier will be sent to the Director of Public Prosecutions. Despite Mr Bailey's death, they are going to continue their review. Similar story on the front of the Irish Sun. Keep Sophie Case Alive. According to her son, Ian Bailey was a liar. And there are many who maybe have that opinion. Certainly there was a very powerful piece of television on RTE last night when he was, uh, or when his former partner was interviewed and described just having no feeling for him after he passed away on Sunday. It's worth watching if you can see it on the RTE player. Anyway, let's go inside the papers today. A big win for David versus Goliath. Tipperary man John O'Mara was denied the widower's pension because he wasn't married to nor in a civil partnership with Michelle Beatty, a woman he had spent 20 years of his life with, a woman who was the mother of his children and whom he lost three years ago when she had contracted COVID-19 while recovering from breast cancer. So he's been through a terrible bereavement, but the rules were applied rigidly by the Department of Social Protection that in order to get the widower's pension, he had to be either in a civil partnership with Miss Beatty or married to her, neither of which applied. It even took it to the High Court, and the High Court backed up the department. But he subsequently challenged the constitutionality of the social welfare legislation, and yesterday the Supreme Court quashed the refusal to give him the benefit. And there were several, I suppose, conditions attached to that, and we'll get into the detail of it a little bit later. But the Irish Times picks up the story today saying this ruling is not expected to affect the forthcoming referendums on the definition of family. Well, I'm not so sure about that. I think the very definition of family is at the root of this and will be a talking point and certainly a topic of conversation in many households in the next few days. Moving on to the Department of Education. And here is an example of, in the grand scheme, not a lot of money being spent. But if you could find an example like this in every government department, in every county council, in every public body, it all adds up. So in 2021, the Department of Education introduced an electronic payroll system. And as the name suggests, that means you would get your paycheck and your pay slip electronically. You'd get an email. The money would be transferred directly into your account. But despite this, the Department of Education is spending €3 million Euro a year posting physical payslips to staff. And bearing in mind over the last two years, the price of postage has doubled and it's only going to continue going up. So why hasn't the department transitioned over? If it has an electronic system, why is it still posting out payslips? The mind boggles. Anyway, that's in the Irish Examiner today. Beware estate agents who make predictions that we have reached the top of the market or that we're in for a soft landing, or any such claim that they can see into the future. 
The Irish Times has a headline here. House prices close to or at peak, estate agents say. A new report from the Society of Chartered Surveyors predicts a 1% increase in values this year, which will be the lowest in well over a decade. And they're probably right because a lot of new property is coming on to the market. There's also a ceiling after which many people won't be able to afford houses because house price inflation hasn't kept pace with wage inflation. Wage inflation is much lower. But always, you're probably taking a gamble when you say, this is definitely the top. Nobody can time the market. Even Warren Buffett, the world's greatest investor, has said, you will never know when you're at the top. And for that matter, you'll never know when you're at the bottom. Two health-related stories worth reading today. One in the Irish Examiner concerning medicinal cannabis and a new study by the Health Research Board which is a state body, has found evidence to support the use of prescribed medicinal cannabis for certain conditions. They qualify this and they say there is a general lack of quality in primary studies and reviews. In other words, there hasn't been a huge amount of money spent on studying medicinal cannabis by the industry compared to the pharmaceutical companies who invest vast amounts to prove that their products are the best. But the agency has found that with multiple sclerosis, with intractable nausea, uh, and indeed the vomiting that is associated with chemotherapy, with severe treatment-resistant epilepsy, there can be a case for using medicinal cannabis. And then, if you move over to the Irish Examiner as well, there's a study about energy drinks. And if you watch YouTube, and let's face it, lots of kids and young adults are interested in gaming, and they will see gaming influencers all the time holding an energy drink, a can of this or a can of that. And invariably, the energy drinks have huge amounts of caffeine, far beyond anything you will consume in a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And so a new study shows that in young people aged 18 to 35 who are consuming these drinks daily, they are sleeping half an hour less than people who drink them only occasionally or not at all. Among men, having two or three energy drinks a week meant you are 35% more likely to have a bedtime after midnight and you are 52% more likely to sleep for less than six hours. And all of the expert advice is that you should sleep for seven to eight hours. And if you're training, and many of these guys are in the gym, you need even more sleep for growth and repair. Anyway, one last story, and it's not just your imagination. If you think your car is getting wider, it probably is. Not your existing car, but new car designs are growing by one centimetre every two years. And the average vehicle on sale in showrooms is now more than 180 centimetres wide. So when you try to park the new car, you will probably find it a little more tricky than the old car. Why are they getting wider? The roads aren't getting wider. And is this something that perhaps... Governments need to be a little more strict on. 
the exact dimensions of cars. Have a think about it anyway. That's official research from the UK Group of Transport and Environment that since 2001, cars have grown by half a centimetre every year. One centimetre every two years. Colm in Roscommon wants to warn you as he travels towards Galway this morning, heavy rain and wind is making driving very treacherous on the motorway. So be careful if you're on the road. The closer you get to Galway, the worse things become. Thanks for the heads up, uh, Colm, and safe travels. Love the Midlands? Love Midlands today. Midlands 103. In 15 minutes, you meet the builder and part-time farmer who is determined to donate thousands of saplings nationwide to see Ireland grow more trees. Why is this a cause so close to Paddy Mangan's heart? We'll find out in a few minutes' time. First, though, let's return to Ross Gray to find out what has been revealed in a geophysical survey conducted by an engineering company last October, and it was funded by the Department of Children. And the location, of course, Shanross Abbey in Ross Cray, where there was a known angel plot, but many survivors believed that beyond the angel plot, there may have been more burials. Teresa Collins is a member of We Are Still Here, which represents survivors of Ross Cray. Teresa, you're welcome to the programme. Good morning. Good morning and thank you. We've talked to Precision Engineering uh, before and they explained how they would be carrying out this survey beneath the ground. So what has it found? Um, It has identified a a certain amount of anomalies. Now, these anomalies is uh, questionable as to what they are because... um, even identifying anomalies, it doesn't say whether it's animal, vegetable, human or what. So um, we have put the, say the, the report back into the government for their um, looking, looking into it and seeing what way it goes and where we actually go from there um, with the anomalies found. So we're basically hoping that they will kind of say, yeah, this uh, needs uh, more investigation. Mm. How large an area was surveyed? Now, you're going to... I'm not an overall expert on this area and precision probably have a better uh, better of it than what I'd have. But I think as far as I know in it, there was, I suppose, I'd put it as a good three quarters of an acre. Now, don't ask me to do sure. this into metres. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But to put it another way, are you satisfied that they examined enough ground? Oh, I'd say so. Um, we nearly say so, but again, back in 1974, that was a one big field and it is a huge area. Hmm. So what we did was we kind of took the grids, say, latitude and longitude, and took a square section out of that that would cover if it, they were going length and if it would cover if they were going width across. So um, we kind of cross-sectioned that is the best way in saying it. Um, they did a fantastic job. Precision did a fantastic job. They did what they could do with it, you know, and what they were given. So now you still have questions, obviously. You want to know what these possible anomalies are. And yeah. how would that be investigated? What would be the next step? 
Well, our next uh, our step was once we got the report back from um, Precision, um, we took a look at it ourselves. Now, it was double dutch because I wouldn't have a clue on ground scans and penetration. This is not new to me. Like, you know, it is new to me that way. Um, we did get, with the anomalies on the southern side, that seemed to be one of the bigger areas of it that did... Um, say, did go further investigation. That's the best way to say it, would, would want further investigation. So it was after Christmas again, we got the report up to the government. And um, at the moment, we're waiting to hear from them back. It takes time to look at it because, as I say, I wouldn't have a clue on it. It's just with the anomalies found and the... Um, what they were in investigation and being part of a modern baby home, there are certain areas of it that could, that definitely does need uh, the government to come back and either archaeological or whatever way to do it, does need to be done. You know, it is a questionable there on that. And are survivors united in carrying out further investigation or are there some who are almost fearful of what it would reveal? I'm saying 50-50. I think the best way in saying it, um, as far as we know with Sean Ross, they're all ground burials. There's no tanks. We haven't come across a tank in that area or even any other area with it. Mm. Um, If it's ground burial, you'd be actually, I suppose the best way in saying it is, You'd live alone and maybe uh, commemorate a garden onto it or whatever way mm. we work it. I think we have to just go and see what's there first before we jump the gun further on doing what we have to do in that issue. But I think a lot of people prefer to leave them, let them rest. But at the same time, if they are there, make a garden towards it. You know what I mean? Keep it as it is. Don't overchange it. It's pointless uh, bringing up too much because we, we just don't know. Yes, and I suppose you have to carry out the further investigation to see are there human remains there or is it just a vegetable patch or something far more innocuous? And have you been given any timetable for how quickly this next piece of the investigation will happen? No, not as yet. Well, now, in all fairness, they only had the scans gone up to them there the second week in January because with the Christmas there, we didn't get up before and... Um, they have to go through it like a fine tooth comb the same way as we went through it. Um, I suppose, look, I give them, you give them the chance. I mean, they're probably dotting the I's and crossing the T's too. Um, news, news to them, so they have to investigate what they have in front of them as well, you know. And while all of this is going on, what feelings does it bring up for you, Teresa? Um, it actually the feelings it brings up is if they're there, we're marking them, we're not forgetting them. I'm kind of happy to get to the end of it mm. after all the years of trying. Um, happy to at least know where they are. That's the best way in saying it. I'm not sad with it. I think we when we started this, we were given a, someone was guiding us somewhere along the line as to find these people that isn't marked. Um, we probably never identify our individually because with so many, but at least if they are buried there, it gives them some bit of that we know where they are buried. If you get the meaning, sure. Um, and for survivors, yeah, it offers that chance for closure eventually. It does because I mean, 
it offers the chance, say, at least if they're buried there, we have another garden to look after. Um, we'll do that. Um, some mightn't be happy with that. Some will be happy. But I think I think all any of them want now at this stage is just to find closure. I think the rest of it has gone out the gate as such. Um, when you look at the way it's going with the money side and all that, like I think it's just to get closure on it. And if they are buried where we are, well, at least the commemorative garden memorialised with a lovely plaque, just simple, and um, you know, at least you're recognising them. Now, until the government decides that it does need further investigation, we can't actually say anything else at the moment. You know, we have to wait on the government now to come back to us. Mm. So, but are the you government happy have been good with so it. So far, you've had support clearly from the Department of Children and that they paid for the study, but politically as well to help you navigate what is obviously very daunting for somebody who's not familiar with politics and departments and how the state operates. Um, I have to say now, um, Martin Brown, our TD here, Sinn Féin TD and Sinn Féin were behind us 100%. Um, As we went along and once the Commission of Inquiry ended, we did get help with other governmental groups. The council came in. Local lads, local councillors have been good with us. I mean, I find that um, it isn't just me as running this. I mean, I'd say over the last, I'd say three, four years, Definitely, there's 20 or 30 people on this working with us. I think the scene, the commission wanting, it didn't exactly give us everything we wanted in answers. But somehow, I think the fact when the land changed over then to Tony Donlan, and I mean, I'll give Tony the best of credit, um, he, he gave us to go ahead and the permission to do what we wanted to do. So he has never stood in our way and it's his people as they came along helped us out tremendous. Like, you know, I, I'm not just the only one in that. Joe Price there has been fantastic. There's been, and Joe is not affiliated to us at all. And it often helps to have people that wouldn't be affiliated or wouldn't be from there deal with us as well because they're able to talk to us and say, look, come back a bit a minute, think about what way you're doing this. It gives us another choice, you know, that way. So between them all, I have to say the help came was terrific, you know, between government and county county councillors and individuals as well with with Ros Gray and the people that knew the stories actually talked Mm -hmm. to us a lot. Good to hear and hopefully in this final piece of the puzzle, you get the same level of support to secure that final investigation. Teresa, thank you for taking our call today. Thank you so much. Teresa Collins is a member of We Are Still Here. Interesting opinions about who should be obliged to accept cash in business and who should not be. So the front page of the Irish Independent today looks at the new access to cash laws and we already know banks will be required to have a certain number of ATMs per head of population. But they're saying today grocery shops and pharmacies will be businesses compelled to accept cash under this new plan. But that obviously means other types of goods and services will not be obliged to accept cash. And there are more than a few listeners pointing out, well, cash is legal tender. So if it's obligatory for some businesses, why shouldn't it be obligatory for all to accept cash? And a few others point out that anything involving a government department or any service that you must have by law, take, for instance, insurance, if you are going to drive your car, 
then they should be compelled to accept cash as well. It shouldn't just be confined to grocery stores and pharmacies. Where do you stand on it? 083 30 10 103. Text or WhatsApp. Powered by Land Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Find out what you missed earlier at midlands103.com. Now, still on the agenda today. After 10, a man who was denied access to the widower's pension because he wasn't married to his long-term partner, nor was he in a civil partnership with her, he has been vindicated and he won his case before the Supreme Court. What does that judgment mean? The full story coming up after 10 o'clock this morning. First, though, trees. Have you planted a tree in the last couple of years? Because, by golly, in many other parts of the world, they're tearing down trees at a rate of knots. The Amazon being perhaps the more famous example, but there are examples of deforestation all over South America, Southeast Asia, even here in Europe as well. So I want you to meet Paddy Mangan, who is from Oldcastle in County Meath. He's just an ordinary guy who wants to see Ireland grow more trees. Paddy, good morning. Morning, Will. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. You're putting your money where your mouth is as well. You've donated how many saplings at this stage? Um, well, look, at I suppose I started off there before Christmas, the beginning of December, uh, sitting on the couch one evening and I decided to give away a few trees and it started off at 1,500 and by the end of the week I had almost 9,000 trees given away to people around the, uh, the country. So I suppose what we did, well, one of the reasons was because of what everybody knows or should know about the ash dieback that's in the country. And um, all the all the trees are, are, are dying from it and in a few years' time there'll be no ash trees standing so I started putting in trees on my own land at home and um, kind of got tight on space so that was the reason that I decided to to give away a few trees. So it kind of grew legs from there but we didn't have enough. I, I organised about 25 distributors around the country so they were acting as collection points. Mm. And, and we who were you giving the trees to, Paddy? anybody that wanted them basically anybody that could plant a tree so it was just for, for everybody and anybody to get them out planting a few trees and um, you know look at I have two kids there and uh, I have a six year old and she's been out planting trees with me since she was three and she has her own little spade and all for doing it and she has planted dozens of trees hundreds of trees and uh, with me over the, the few years so a three year old can do it or an 83-year-old mm, person can mm. plant a tree. You know, it's, 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 not a, it's not a big thing. You don't have to do any courses to plant a tree or anything like that. So it's very simple done. This is Una, I'm guessing. Who's, is that uh, Una, yeah. yeah, yeah. She, she's six now and you have another child yeah, as well. Another, another girl, Cara, there. She's just turned two there last week. So, um, yeah, so she's the real boss. But anyway. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, always the way the second child tends to throw their weight around more. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. So you look at your kids and you think, right, it's all about the next generation and you want them to practice good habits. And then that blossoms into trying to encourage more and more people to blossom good habits. So what's the vision? What, where does this end for Paddy Mangan? Oh, it's only starting well. I don't know where it's going to end, but um, 
I have a, I, I, I took it in my head then we didn't have enough trees, near enough trees for the people that wanted them. So then I suppose again sitting on the couch on uh, New Year's Eve, I decided to, that I'd put up a thing that we'd um, give away 35,000 trees every year for the next seven years. And um, uh, it'll be a total of 250,000 trees uh, in, in the few years. And just to get everybody and anybody out to, to, to plant trees, there's lots of people that would love to plant trees, but they wouldn't they wouldn't know where to get them. They wouldn't know how, the price of trees. They wouldn't know how many that they could buy or, or, or when to plant them. So we're kind of taking that problem out of the equation for them and, and give, giving them the trees to, you know, making the first step for them. And we have got phenomenal response from people, you know, all over the country and um, and, and, and so many letters I've got. I didn't know that people wrote letters anymore, hmm. but, uh, you know, like from people that got trees and people that just heard about it and, uh, you know, commending us on it. So and what species of trees have you given away? So what, what we've given away 10 species to all native Irish trees, all native provenance, which means they're from seed that was collected here in Ireland and, and grown here in Ireland. So the problem with the ash dieback was it was brought in from abroad with, with, with you know, with tree, trees that were that were imported. And uh, so we're very stringent on um, having native provenance trees um, uh, you know, going into the ground, so we're not bringing in any any extra diseases. Even though it's a bit more expensive to get them, but you know, in the long run, uh, it, 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 the price doesn't come into it all the time. You know, so what we have this time going around, I had ten varieties the last time of, of native Irish trees. I've cut that down to six this time, just to leave it a little bit more streamlined for for this for the distributors to to break up the trees in lots to suit people. So if a person wanted. We're giving out a ma- maximum of 50 trees per person. So if a person wanted, um, we'd say 50 trees, they'd get roughly a, a 10 of each variety of, of the five or six varieties. And um, so we're giving away, this time we're giving away birch, alder, Scots pine, uh, mountain ash, which is roan, bird, cherry and oak. That's the six varieties that I have this time. And, so um, I'm just curious as well, if you a target of 250,000 trees between now and 2030. How much money have you got down the back of that couch where you keep coming up with these ideas? <laughs> I don't know, and um, the wife doesn't know either, so don't say too much. But anyway, <laughs> um, we have, uh, yeah, look, trees, are, trees aren't expensive, but when you multiply it out, they, you know, they, 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 uh, you know they, they add up. So, like, I have 21,000 trees coming now for, for for the first week in February for anybody and everybody that wants them. The trees cost roughly about 85 cent a piece plus the bat, so it's, they're not they're not they're not dear. Um, it's different varieties are more expensive than the others, but they average out around 85 cent a piece. So we are looking for funding. I can't keep doing this on my own, mm. obviously. Or I'd come home some evening and the the, yeah, the door would be locked. Yeah, the couch would be gone, and uh, there'd be a bag with a tree outside the door for me, and that'd be it. But um, so look at it, we're very much looking for funding. Unfortunately, with um, with would say with, with, there isn't there, there's lots of funding available for for individual counties, you know, for the climate action change committees and things like that. But when we're doing it on a nationwide thing, it can't cross over. So if I apply to West Mead County Council or Mead County Council the money has to be spent in that county and that county alone. Mm. And, you know, that is the issue. So um, we we are, we will be looking for funding and any any uh, businesses or companies there that are, that are out there 
that want to do a bit of good, you know, um, that want to, we'll say, lay off some of their, their, their carbon emissions, we'd be very happy to accommodate them in that. We have the place, we have the people for, for planting the trees, we have the distributors in place. As I say, uh, we have 30 distributors around the country and nobody is really within more than 50 minutes from a distributor anywhere in the in the country. Well, I hope so, maybe Mark or Ashley and CJ Sheeran, uh, companies like that might jump at the opportunity to partner with you in something like this because it's part of their sustainable future as well. And I hope you um, you get some support to keep this going because we need initiatives like this for the future. Yeah. Well, it's part of everybody's future. Well, you know, it's not only uh, not only business or companies. You know, uh, anybody can donate. We actually have a we have a, a on our on our Facebook page, Free Trees Ireland. We have a, a GoFundMe page set up, and I know people will say, "Well, sure, look at if you're looking for money for the trees, they're not actually free trees." The the difference is the people that we're giving the trees to, they don't have to pay us money. They're welcome to donate if they want, if they can afford to. You know, we won't say no to money but we're not asking anybody specifically to pay for trees. So just to, to, to have that straight out. We are, we're also in the process of being registered for it as a charity, and that should be sorted by the end of the week. I remember this only brainstorm came on New Year's Eve, so we have a website built. We're very lucky to have two, a, web, a web designer and an IT technician on our, on our team of distributors, and we also have... Um, we also have a couple of uh, horticulturists and arborists on it as well that uh, that you know that that can give very very good information to anybody that aren't so sure how to plant trees or what trees to plant where. We have all that on our website, and our website will be live definitely by the end of the week. Um, so, like you know, we're trying to give the information out to people to leave it as as easy as possible for anybody that. that would like to plant a tree or thinks are, are often taught of it, you know, by planting a tree, how to do it. Paddy, it's a wonderful initiative and the old expression about from little acorns. Thank you very much for taking our call today. No problem at all, Will. Thank you. Take Paddy care. Mangan from Old Castle in County Meath. Love the Midlands? Love. Midlands Good morning. Still to talk about after 11... Grocery shops and pharmacies will have to accept cash under a new access to cash bill. However, that means many other businesses and services won't be obliged. And is that right in your view? Plus, we take a look at different steps you can take in your home to save money as the unfortunate uh, cold weather looks like it's only taking a brief reprieve and it will be back very, very soon. The Midlands 103 Green Home and Energy Show shall be taking place in February, and we're here to share ideas in just over an hour's time. John O'Mara was in a loving relationship with Michelle for 20 years. She was the mother of his children, and his family was devastated by her death three years ago. When he applied for widower's pension, he was told he didn't qualify because technically they weren't married, nor were they in a civil partnership. The High Court backed the department's view, but yesterday the Supreme Court ruled in his favour. And one quote that I noted from uh, 
one of the justices, was that the position, the distinction between a married and non-married surviving parent in the legislation was arbitrary and capricious and that it failed to hold parents equal before the law. Well, I want you to meet John and also Sinead Murray from TROR, which is the National Federation of Services for Unmarried Parents and Their Children. You're both very welcome to the programme. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. And John, first of all, I suppose congratulations are in order on your victory. You may not feel like it after having such a long, drawn-out legal battle, but would you mind telling us how this started? Yeah, look, obviously after Michelle's passing, like, you know, I looked into whatever supports could be in place for me. And to find out, like, when I when I went into my local social welfare office, that, like, there was, there was nothing there. Um, you know, as, like, I was a, I was self-employed um, all my life. And, you know, it's just, it, it, it frustrated me to think, like, you know, that I'm going to be left on my own here. And had I been married, I would get, be getting the full support of the state. And I, I just said, look, that's it. And I'm, I'm going to have to just follow this through. And I got in touch with him with Troar. And they've been very supportive of me. And we, we took it off from there. So, Sinead, what were the principles of the argument that ultimately won the day? Yeah, so um, the basic principles was that the need in both scenarios, so in John's case or a married uh, family, um, the need was there. And so to make a distinction just because of marital status wasn't fair. The other one was in relation to children's rights, that children's rights shouldn't be restricted based on the marital status of their parents. That even though parents can choose to get married or not get married, the children have no choice in that. So that was ultimately what um, led them to look into Article 40.1 of the Constitution and say it was the equality um, article to say that you should be treated fairly and equally under the law. Now it's worth pointing out the first stop was the High Court and the High Court ultimately didn't find in your favour. What was that point of resistance at the time, Sinead? That was in relation to um, the judge in the High Court case felt that he was restricted by um, Article 41 which restricts the family based on marriage and the Supreme Court overturned that and though they did say that that article does um, guarantee a protection for marriage that um, the Article 40.1 in relation to equality and the children's rights superseded that. Okay, so that necessitated then bringing the matter to the Supreme Court and I, I dare not ask, how much would all of this have cost if somebody was to do it on their own without a support group such as Tror? Yeah, I mean, we're really grateful that Slack supported us and we put John in touch with Slack who supported him throughout the case. That's the Free Legal um, Advice Centre. Free Legal Advice Centre, exactly. But it would have been incredibly expensive for someone to just do this on their own without any support. Um, it would have been incredibly expensive to go through the High Court let alone, let alone the Supreme Court. So, John, what does it mean to you having spent the last couple of years in and out of solicitor's office, uh, in and out of courtrooms, to have been vindicated. Oh, it it means everything. It's it's it means it's amazing for me and, and my family. Like it, like it means we finally have the recognition of being a family, the same as any other family. You know, it's it means a lot. And also, like you know, it means that like 
our relationship for 20 years, you know, is is, is equal in the eyes of, you know, of, of the courts. And on the financials, how quickly then will you receive the money and is it going to be backdated or is all of that still up in the air? Um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure about all of that yet. Like, the details have to be still kind of ironed out in that one. Um, you know, ho- uh, hopefully soon enough, I think. I don't think it's going to be overly complicated. Um, you know. Yeah. The the Supreme Court ruling means that there will have to be legislation introduced very quickly into the doll to rectify this situation. And our understanding is that it would be backdated to when John made the application for John. But we're not sure exactly what that legislation would mean in terms of other families. So, for example, yeah. John O'Mara's case was quite significant that him and Michelle had children but cohabiting couples that would consider themselves a family but maybe don't have children we're not sure so Tor is calling that the legislation would cover both scenarios um, we had another woman who was in a very similar situation as John supporting the case Sheila Duffy and her children her, she had a daughter with her partner but her daughter was an adult so was ineligible um, on that grounds and she was still forced to sell her home after her partner died of over 20 wow. years. But it is conceivable that there may be other cases, even similar to John's, to whom all of the principles will apply. Yes, and absolutely, yeah. those people may have accepted the no from the department uh, on the first attempt and now be, may be wondering, well, can they retrospectively make a claim based on his success before the court. So a lot of ground will have to be covered and covered quickly. Absolutely. I mean, there's 150,000 couples in Ireland who are cohabiting and then 75,000 of them have children. And we don't know the exact figures that would be in John O'Mara's situation in terms of their age and their age of their children and things like that, how many years they were together. So, But there's potentially, you know, around... 10,000 that could be in exactly John's scenario so what we would say to people if they're in that situation they know someone's in that situation give us a call on 01670120 and we'll be updating people as we find out how this progresses um, but also to reach out to your insurer office and make that application um, because they will have to provide information about what the next steps are. A caller is asking, has the state accepted this or is there a risk it'll be appealed to Europe? Um, as far as we know, the state has accepted it. But um, I think we, my understanding from the court yesterday was that they had a bit of time to um, review this. This may be outside of your field of knowledge, Sinead, but is there any mm. bearing on the forthcoming referendum on the definition of family? Uh, could that interfere with the the judgment and and for how long it'll apply if the constitution has changed? Um, Well, we are actually um, very involved in that campaign around the referendum and John has been really helpful in that regard as well um, in terms of expanding the definition of family. Um, We are not sure exactly how this will impact the referendum. In in, in a way, it strengthens the argument that, um, you know, marriage is not based around the family, that there are other durable relationships that we all consider family, just like John and Michelle and his children. So um, we're, to, to be honest, we're, we're not sure exactly what the wording will be yet of the legislation to rectify John's situation. But I think it highlights the really important thing about the referendum that 
lots of families that we all consider families are not recognized in the constitution. And so there's one thing to get this court case, um, which recognizes that, but the whole other protection to have it in the constitution and to say that there are other family types, regardless of whether they are married or not, or if they have children that we all would like to see protected. John, finally, I know your kids, Aoife and Jack and Tommy, have been with you every step of the way on this. When you went home last night after the verdict, how did you all feel? What did you talk about? We were relieved. Look, we were very relieved to to finally see this come to an end and the result we got. Um, You know, and we we spoke about together, you know, and we spoke about what we've achieved as well. It's, it's, and how, this is going to be amazing for so many other families in Ireland. Um, you know, to, to see that they're going to be getting the sports they need and also the recognition they deserve, you know. So, yeah, no, we're, we're delighted. Well, congratulations, as I said. And, and somewhat unforgivable that you had to make such a long legal battle in the first place, but sometimes that's the nature of these rules and, and how they are to be challenged. But, Sinead, finally, for anybody else who's in a similar position, give us the contact details for Tror. Absolutely. So the website is www.tror.ie.tr.e.o.i.r. You can get us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tror for Twitter and Facebook and at Tror1976. And our phone number is 0167001201. We're open 10am to 4pm Monday to Friday. And if there's any family that are struggling, if they're lone parent families, cohabiting couples, um, or looking to understand family law a bit more, please do get in touch with us. And thank you so much to John for taking this case. Here, here. Sinead Murray and John O'Mara, thank you both very much for your time. Thank you. The Midlands Most Listened to Radio Show, Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. Will, please let people know that bingo in Caloocan has been cancelled this evening as a result of the storm. And that just makes me think, what other events perhaps are going to be postponed or cancelled because of Storm Jocelyn, which is just a few hours away from us here. And hopefully it won't be too bad, won't be as uh, damaging as Isha only 24, 48 hours ago. But please let me know if there's something in your area that you want others to be aware of as being cancelled or indeed if it's progressing regardless, let's not people make false assumptions either. So 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. Eugene in Killy, far from the only person to ask, well, why didn't they get married? A wedding would have been cheaper. But that's their business. Some people believe in the sacrament of marriage. Some people are legally uh, minded and say, oh, I can benefit from combined tax-free allowances and stuff like that if I get married. But others, for whatever reason, don't want to have that label attached to them. And at the end of the day, that's their business. Will another secret by the religious institutions, that story earlier about Shan Ross Abbey and the anomalies revealed by the, the geophysical scan. If we were to survey all areas of the mother and baby homes, I dare say they will find a lot more, and industrial schools too. My mother was in such a place and she told us stories about babies being buried and the past is coming back to haunt the nuns and the priests. And to haunt everybody concerned, I think. Will, my son went to get his birth certificate in Tullamore before the office closed. 
except they wouldn't accept cash. Isn't that a government department? says Marion. Another person points out cash is legal tender, so if there's any law that makes it permissible for companies not to accept cash, then it should be shot down. For instance, as one person points out, how will you help the homeless on the street if you do not have coins to share? Julianne and Glasson echoes that all businesses should be made to accept cash, she believes. She was recently at Centre Parks and discovered they don't accept cash, which she believes is ridiculous. And one or two more. Will NCT won't accept cash or NDLS. Well, didn't they have to roll back on that policy, Smiley? Texts come from Smiley, with lots of sunflowers and smiley faces. Uh, yeah, there was an, a furore, an uproar, and there was a very rapid U-turn performed on that one. And a final comment from Hilda says, you only have to be married an hour, and then you qualify for basically everything. Well, that's how the laws were written. But maybe they're out of date. Medical herbalist Emmett Walsh is here in just a few minutes. Also, a little later, the Health Research Board discusses medicinal cannabis and what its new study has found. It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Lone, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. Mullingar Order of Malta is hosting a volunteer recruitment evening tomorrow from 8.30 in Colum Barracks. To become a volunteer, you don't need any previous first aid experience because full training will be given. Colin is on 087-943-0954 or you can check out Order of Malta Mullingar on Facebook. Leash Leisure in Port Arlington are holding swimming lessons again this month and you can pre-book from the 22nd. That's yesterday, so pre-booking is available now by calling reception on 057 86 4800 or you can check out Leash Leisure Port Arlington on Facebook. Sweets, the South West Meath Employment Support Service, is holding a free nine-week women's development programme. Three hours a week from Thursday of this week until Thursday the 21st of March and it's free to any woman over 35 who is living in West Meath Key topics include personal development, goal setting, digital skills and interview techniques. Contact Sweets on 057 93 32030 for more details. Shooting Stars Table Quiz in aid of the Special Olympics will be held on Thursday night, 8.30 in the Anbrook Hotel in Mullingar. Lots of prizes up for grabs. Tables are still available. Table of four is €40. Euro. Finally, for now, creative writing workshops for children kick off on Sundays from the 4th of February between 2 and 4, running for six weeks for children aged 8 to 12 years. The venue is 4 Bastion Street, Athlone. The price is €90 euro, and you can contact Neov on 086 362 3971 or go on Facebook and check out Creative Writing for Children Athlone. Now, if you missed any of the details, they're all listed on midlands103.com. And if I missed something that's happening in your area, call 0818 300 103 and tell us all about it. 
The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormi Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormi's.ie The Midlands' most listened to radio show, Midlands Today. Midlands 103 Emmett Walsh is here from the Rosscore Clinic in Blue Ball in County Offaly. Is it too late to say Happy New Year? I haven't seen you since 23. I know. It's good to get a, a greeting at any time. Good, good. And the form is good as well. He's looking yeah. well. So, we were chatting off air, and I think it's worth sharing this with you. How herbs work and why they can pass benefits to animals such as ourselves. So, talk us through the science. Well, uh, to talk through the science would be would take far too long. But okay, just, talk just, us through the simple science. Okay, the simple stuff. Okay, really, what we're talking about is uh, herbs come from plants fundamentally, and um, there's a big there's there's one big difference between plants and animals. Plants have to stay where they are; they can't run, mm-hmm. they can't move. Mm-hmm. An animal can move away from a threat, so therefore, that which cannot uh, move must have a superior immune system. I get you because they have to absorb it and deal with it and expel yeah, it and so on, yes. All threats, mm. yeah. So, um, the uh, in evolutionary development from, from the time life first began, um, animals developed and moved away from the plant kingdom as it were in some way about 300 to 500 million years ago. But the, the the record of life itself is retained within the DNA. So even though uh, we're, we're very separate, when you, when you look at us now, plants and animals, uh, the, 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 we have a, a lot of shared DNA, up to 25% or something like that, in of shared DNA between plants and animals and um, I think in some people it's higher they definitely remind me of vegetables <laughs> right okay I won't go into that but uh, I, I remember a college years ago um, we, we did an experiment now I wouldn't do it today but it was done we, we actually took because I was involved in reproductive science and that uh, we, we actually took a, a plant egg and inseminated with an animal sperm and it survived for to uh, the blastomere stage which is 16 cells. So, And other than being bored what was the point of the exercise? Well the point of the point of the exercise I suppose at the time like we, we were just kids we were just students so we just did what we were told mm. but today look, looking back on it I would not do that experiment today. But what, well, what's what, the moral what, what, of the story? The moral of the story is that that that, that there's, there's still a good moral to that story insofar as life is life and that's mm. it. Mm. And whether it's through a plant or an animal, it's the same life. All right. So we get down to business? Sure. A lot of people are complaining of, I don't know if it's RSV, if it's COVID, if it's flu, if it's common cold or what, but there's a respiratory bug doing the rounds that is annoyingly persistent. It hangs on and doesn't bugger off. Have you got a sucker punch that we can take? Well, it's kind of annoying me too because I, I, I asked the patients and I've asked some of the medics what's going on. 
and um, th- th- there's no definitive answer. The answer that everybody's given, oh, you have a virus. But whatever type of a virus it is, and and I think this is a feature of viral changes over the past about 10 years, that in some way they've got more virulent. And uh, there's a greater number of viruses out there that are problematic and have this characteristic of hanging on and lingering and and causing a lingering uh, scenario as regards, you know, coughing and chestiness mm. and all that and feeling not well and... Up into the sinuses as well. Up into the sinuses, yeah. Uh, now, the, the thing that I mean, I'm not that concerned about the actual symptoms themselves because they're, they're generally not that severe. But what I am concerned is about is the length of time that people are having these things. And in that situation, you, 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 you're, you're talking about an increased risk of a post-viral syndrome type scenario. And these are, these are very difficult. It's like the, the long COVID. Mm. That's a post-viral thing. The long COVID is just another form of a post-viral thing. And the, the, the RSV can, uh, virus that, that was mentioned and is assumed to be the culprit. In many cases, it's not the culprit because cultures were taken in the hospitals with these people and the RSV is not showing up. The, the, the COVID is not showing up. The flu is not showing up. Um, so what is it? it? It's probably the case that viruses in general are, are more um, um, problematic. So the, the answer to all of this is keep your immunity up. You do that through appropriate diet for you. It's an individual thing. It's not It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. It's an individual thing. So uh, go to somebody who, who you can trust and who knows what they're talking about and whether that's a doctor, a herbalist, whatever. Um, and um, Isn't it ironic then here in the Northern Hemisphere, Christmas, the one time of year when we probably scrimp more than ever on good diet happens to land in the middle of winter when we most need our immunity? A very good point that I that that people need to take on board. Um, it, it's it's a brilliant point you're after making there, Will, because you, you you're getting a sucker punch right in the middle of mm. the long protracted winter of this latitude. You know, and 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 the, the the other thing about that is that the people that are telling us what to do come from Southern California or Mediterranean regions, which is a completely different climate. And many of the recommendations that apply to these people do not apply to us. Much of their foods are cold and damp forming, whereas, whereas we need the opposite. We need, we need lighter foods. We, need, we definitely need spices up here. So definitely need spices. Diet being one component, being disciplined on that and, and being correct on what you're taking that fortifies the immune system or at least provides a good base. What else? Uh, get a reasonable amount of exercise. So, so a reasonable amount of exercise today is considered to do about 30 minutes walk every, every day or at least for five days a week. Here's the catch-22. If you've had one of these bugs, your energy is low. Oh, oh sorry, I thought you were talking about the general public. Uh, so, so you're, you're talking about somebody that actually has has the bug. Yes, and you're trying to rebuild because that seems to be another feature. People are going around with flat batteries for weeks afterwards. Yeah, take herbs. 
go to somebody that, that you know and trust and take herbs, they invariably knock it. They'll prevent this long protracted post viral scenario. All right. Next is a caller who, as a child, we were given stout and milk as a tonic. Was there any logic in it or was it just old-fashioned thinking? That's from Joe. There was, there was logic in it and there was a science to it. But the problem is that all of these things contained alcohol. Mm. And that's the problem. So uh, yeah, the Guinness is good for you, Ad. Uh, it, it was a great ad, and the words the words were brilliant. You'd never get away with it now. No, you wouldn't get away with it now, but um, but still, uh, Guinness is full of iron. So pregnant women were often told to take uh, to take Guinness, and you know if, if they didn't, if if they weren't of of a nature to be addictive to alcohol, well then it was okay for them, and probably a good thing. Although we still have some of those old remedies that people swear by, and I would as well when it comes to hot whiskey. Maybe it's a placebo effect, I don't know. Well, it stimulates the, the body and, and it, it helps sweating, which is a good thing in these things. OK, next question. Will, does COVID affect your digestive system? Um, I was infected some time ago and I've had a soft stool ever since. Apologies for the image, but the man's obviously feeling it. Okay, well, the answer to that question is definitely COVID can disrupt the um, uh, the functioning of the digestive system. It definitely can, and it, there's research actually at present uh, ongoing, looking into the benefits of using probiotics when you have any of these bugs, especially COVID. They're specifically looking at COVID, but. I would contend that there's there's a lot of research going on in in this whole area of probiotics right now. Well, for the past ten years, and uh, people think that the, the gut flora is just mainly made up of bacteria, but it's the, the viral load in, in in the digestive tract is hugely important as well. So, so you need the probiotics. Um, can stabilise or help to stabilise the, the gut flora, which invariably has a beneficial effect on health. So for this man, who the infection hopefully has passed, the acute part of it at least, is there anything he can do to normalise his gut? Take a, a probiotic uh, one, three times a day. This taking a probiotic once a day is not good enough. These one-a-day probiotics, mm. they don't they don't cut it for me. Scientifically, it doesn't make sense. Okay, so hit it hard for how long? Uh, for at least a month. All right, okay. Emmett Walsh is here from the Rothcore Clinic in Blue Ball in County Offaly. If you have a question for him, here's how you reach me. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Get exclusive content now on the Midlands 103 smartphone app. Emmett Walsh is here from the Rosscore Clinic in Blue Ball, County Offaly. Our next query is from Joe and Clara, who has developed something called polymyalgia rheumatica, PMR. And he developed this after getting COVID, and he knows of others who have developed it after getting COVID. What is PMR, Emmett? 
PMR, polymyalgia rheumatica. So poly means located in many places. Uh, myalgia refers to muscle pain and rheumatica refers to just the general muscles and tendons, joints, all that kind of thing. So um, one of the one of the features of, of COVID, especially the more virulent uh, types of COVID, uh, was that they, they seriously increased what's this inflammation within the body. And if you increase inflammation in the body, you harm all organs. And that's at the basis of polymyalgia rheumatica, mm. that the inflammation uh, within certain individuals um, is such that they can develop a severe type of aching uh, for for several months after the after the COVID. The, the, the best treatment is a combination of herbs and physical therapy of the type that that was developed in, in India. So, for instance, what helps reduce inflammation? Well, probably the best combination of herbs to reduce inflammation is a combination of frankincense, myrrh uh, and some of the other gum-based herbs as well as, you know, having the likes of valerian and uh, maybe Jamaican dogwood or something like mm. that. These pain herbs. Because there's a case for all of us, regardless of an acute condition like this, to keep inflammation under control. Inflammation is the, the most important aspect of our being. Mm. If you can control inflammation, you don't have any sickness. All sickness is underpinned by inflammation. And uh, it's getting worse this whole inflammation thing is getting worse and it's it's underpinning all of these autoimmune conditions and um, autoimmune conditions and, and it also underpins cancer to a huge degree. So if you can control inflammation, you, you, you control your ability to remain healthy. Well, perhaps on the next occasion you're here, we can devote a few minutes towards it. Definitely, yes, yeah, no problem. We'll yeah. do a feature on it. Yeah. Um, Another post-COVID question. This person has a persistent cough. And again, they're not alone. What will knock the cough for six? A combination of herbs. As, as we said there off air, the, the, the biggest selling medicine in pharmacies for the last five years is Bronchostop. Now, I know I'm using a trade name, but it just goes to point out that herbs can work and do work. And it's, very simple, um, it's a very simple formula in, in Bronchostop. Very simple, and uh, when when you can, when you go to a herbalist and you get a, a personalised uh, prescription made up for you, it, it's even at a, it's works operates at a deeper level and a wider level, and uh, and a more concentrated level, and you can go beyond the dosage levels that are recommended by, uh, you know, other over the counter medications. Cholera it does asks, work. Cholera asks. If cranberry juice is genuinely good for your kidneys, or is that another old wives' tale? Okay, there's many people taking cranberry juice thinking that it's great stuff and it's good stuff at a particular time. Everything depends on the, the circumstances of its use. So cranberry, by it, by its nature, is very drying. If you take cranberry juice continuously, you, you, you tend to dry out and irritate the tissues in the body. And in, in, in a woman, it's, it can 
it can cause a kickback. It can actually contribute to the to the development of urinary tract infections instead of treating it. But the thing about cranberry is that it releases a thing called um, rutin, which is only which is only released in a particular environment, in a, an alkaline environment in the body. If you continuously give cranberry, you will not have an an an, an alkaline. Um, environment in the body and it won't work uh, whereas if you give cranberry and in, in, in into a body or if, if you put cranberry into a body which is alkalinized prior to giving it it's it works really well mm. so how do you achieve that you achieve that very simply but taking bread soda in the morning for three or four mornings whatever it takes just a teaspoon or a half a teaspoon with a drop of milk it's easier to take it with milk than water but it's up to the person themselves. Okay. Unfortunately, Annette, the clock has run out. Uh, there are loads of questions we didn't get to. Somebody asking about pulmonary nodules, a uh, person with irritation around their ankles. Uh, there was another question there about urticaria. We'll try and deal with all of these, plus that feature on inflammation on the next time Emmett is here. But if you need to find him in the meantime, medicalherbalist.ie or the Rossgore Clinic is in Blue Ball in County Offaly. Thanks, Emmett. Thanks, Will. Now, in the next hour, what the Health Research Board says about medicinal cannabis. Uh, they have found, for instance, that it is effective in uh, cases where, let's say, nausea and vomiting persists because of chemotherapy um, and other situations. But the big talking point of the next hour will be cash. A new bill in development, proposes that grocery shops and pharmacies will have to accept cash. But that's letting other businesses, other services off the hook. Is that something you agree with? Love the Midlands? Love Midlands 103. Good morning. In a few minutes, your questions for the Health Research Board after its new review of medicinal cannabis, what it can be used for, where perhaps the jury is still out. That's in 15 minutes. When you call, 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. <coughs> Excuse me. Front page of the Irish Independent today, new law to force pharmacies and supermarkets to accept cash. And now this stems from access to cash rules, which are currently being drafted. It's not necessarily set in stone yet. They will also stipulate that banks would have to operate a minimum number of ATMs per head of population. So still time to inform and refine and tweak these rules. Joe Flaherty is a Fianna Fáil TD in Longford, Westmeath. Joe, good morning. Morning, Bill. What's the objective here? Well, I suppose we have to be conscious that there's a no... Um the more digital transactions with people, but at the same time, there's a large cohort of our population that still want to use cash or uh, happier using cash, and uh, cash remains very much legal tender, and we have to ensure that there's access to it and availability to it, and that people have the opportunity to, to trade and to do business in cash if that's their if that's their wish. And obviously, we would have seen it. Significant outcry on the issue probably uh, last year in particular as people, you know, um, thought it was almost a, a conspiracy to get rid of cash from society and that's very very much not the case. And, uh, you know, it's uh, 
I go, but policy yeah. this government to make sure that there is access to cash and that people can continue to deal with cash. I apologise for interrupting you. The line is quite muffled. I'm not sure if you can move or if you're on a hands-free. Um, why would there be any exceptions to the rule, listeners ask? If cash is legal tender, shouldn't all businesses and services be obliged to accept it? Yes, I'd agree with that. In some instances, in some businesses, probably not practical, but certainly in the case of uh, supermarkets, convenience stores, and uh, I see that pharmacies is, in, is included in today's uh, me- media. I'm not quite sure the rationale of that, but I would work on the basis that probably they're the three primary uh, outlets for uh, older people, and they're probably the people that we're most concerned about in terms of access to cash. I want to pick the brain of Eamon Brady. He runs Wheelahan's Pharmacies in Mullingar. Eamon, good morning. Morning, Will. Is it an imposition on your business to accept cash or would it be a reality of trade that if you didn't accept cash, you'd lose customers? Yeah, I feel it's a reality of trade. and I do um, I do think it's something that's needed in the pharmacies. Um, Joe, Joe alluded to it there, like um, pharmacies, a, a higher percentage of our customer base um will be older people and um from my experience of and experience of other pharmacies um you know some quite quite a few older people only deal in cash you know now um more and more you know like just because somebody's older doesn't mean they they can't use card and a lot of them are tapping on their phones and all that as well they're 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 more tech savvy than some of us younger people so-called younger people but um what you call it but is yeah i do feel it's um it's essential to to offer, you know, and I suppose they, they included supermarkets. I suppose what they include the the um, essentials of of um you know of like food um food groceries mm. and um, medicines, you know, in this, you know, um, you like there is a there is a higher cost if biz- other businesses biz- didn't have to carry cash. Yeah, again, there is a higher cost of cash, cash, um, you know, to to businesses, you know, like there's a cost to cards as well, you know, and like. For pharmacies, we're we're um I suppose like for a high percentage of our patients would have medical card, you know, um especially in the older population. And um there's a the government have a fee, one euro if you're over seventy, one euro fifty price and if you're under seventy, but um, you know, so a lot of people pay that in cash. As well as the the like we are like a the government have, have pushed that on to pharmacies as we're kind of like a tax collector in that sense that goes straight from us to the, the government. But I suppose it is the most convenient way to do it, you know, rather than, but, um, you know, but then a lot of people are tapping, as well as on the other end of it, a lot of people are tapping one euro, 150, you know, um, small transactions, which has a cost as well, you know, but, but I can see the, you know, it's like, I do think I'd be, I'd be positive for this, you know, I think, um, you know, like there is, like there is a cost, but, um, yeah, but look, it's um, it's, it's a reality uh, of trade. It's a reality, like a lot of, like I'm from rural Ireland, like Joe, and um, you know, like the reality is, um, like these rules, you know, you look at like I'm I'm lucky enough to be based in I won't say lucky, but I just happen to be based in Mullingar. Well, I, I am lucky based in Mullingar. I'll, I'll say that, and uh, but like I've I permanently like. be like right beside me who I bank with, so we're like a few hundred meters. But you think of of um, towns with pharmacies in just say talking about Westmead, you know, like. Um, Delvin has no bank, Castle Pollard, you know, so there is a challenge for pharmacies or business owners to, they have to go to the nearest big town, be it at Lone or, or, or Mullingar or whatever to, to um, cash. So there is, and there's a the security risk there as well, you know, but like, um, yeah, and they, 
like the ATMs, you know, they are reducing the new rules you see in the today's independent that ATMs they're gonna give a, have a minimum amount of ATMs for um hundred thousand population. Now a lot of convenience stores and that have ATMs now, but like I see they are bringing in rules that to um they're coming under central bank rules, the third party ATM operators, that's always something like I'm sure your listeners will say the same, you know, there's bigger charges for some of these. Now, they are private operators that can charge what they want, I suppose, yeah. you know, but... Um, but let, let me bring Joe Flaherty into that. the conversation again, because if uh, there are sometimes ways of getting around the rules. If a bank is operating an ATM, but it's constantly out of use, it's constantly broken, then they could argue it's physically there, but the service is still deprived of people. So, will the... Uh, rules protect against that? Well, staff working in a bank will tell you that there's nothing as annoying or frustrating as when their ATM isn't working because people will come in and tell them that it's not working. So I don't think banks willfully don't want their uh, ATMs to be working. Um, I think banks... Well, I think that would apply with respect where the physical branch is. But if there's an yeah. ATM in a remote location where you can't walk in and give out to the staff... That may be a yeah, different story. Well, I, can, I can only speak, I suppose, on a practical experience. So uh, Ulster Bank would have left uh, Edristown and County Longford. Uh, the local authority bought their building. It's a fantastic new co-working space, co-works there now, and it's a, a privately operated ATM out of that that, you know, works very well. You know, occasionally maybe a bank holiday weekend or something, you will hear something that the cash ran out for. By and large, you know, it, it works very well. Similarly, the credit union in uh, Granard took over the ATM there with the closure of Ulster Bank. And I think uh, what the Minister is committing to in, in the Access to Cash Bill is to ensure that we get back to at least uh, 2022 level of ATMs across the country, um, you know, uh, before the exit of Ulster Bank and uh, ABC. So I think that, that's the benchmark. That's where we need to start. And there has to be the absolute minimum target in terms of ATMs across the country. The National Ploughing Championships have been mentioned by more than a few listeners. And there's an example of, it's not a state organisation, it's not a grocery nor a pharmacy, but it is an organisation to which many older farmers and, and indeed members of rural Ireland from uh, all persuasions will attend. And many like to pay at the turnstiles with cash. But the rules as described won't compel what's a voluntary organisation, to change its policy? Well, I think we would have seen as well that the Ploughing Association themselves did respond to that. I think uh, there was access with cash from some gates, albeit not all gates, but I think they realised themselves that probably it was, um, you know, somewhat of a flawed policy to go to go cash only. I think uh, there's always going to be people that want to deal with cash, you know, um, but you know, people say it's an older thing, but young people as well, people on you know minimum or fixed income as well, they like to be able to manage their money, and they, they, they do need to be able to have access to cash. And I think we need to ensure, as a, as a society, I always say, um, our president one time says there's a, a glass floor below which we should allow nobody in society to fall, and people on fixed and minimum incomes are very, very much the people that we, if we're a holistic and, uh, you know, an all-inclusive society, we have to ensure them the same rights and the same opportunities. And uh, they shouldn't be worried about, you know, if we're going to come and uh, minimise their opportunity to manage the, their money in the way that they've been doing, a way that they're 
at ease with, um, particularly if you're looking at families with uh, young children, very fixed income. It can be very challenging in, in, in those situations and uh, we should be doing nothing as a government and many people will say we do a lot of things as government that make lives hard for people but insofar as humanly possible there's no government that goes out of its way to make life hard for people and I think in doing what the government is endeavouring to do now I think this is very much one of those instances where we are trying to ensure that uh, life is easier and not inconvenienced by policy. But if we can just come back to the beginning because a few people are unclear if it's really down to market forces, apart from the categories of business we've mentioned, supermarkets, grocery stores, pharmacies. If it's really down to market forces as to whether businesses accept cash, what's the point of the new rules? What do they change? Well, look, we, we, we have to say, we, if, if you look at the, the change in 2019, I think it was about uh, 80 not sorry, 96% of transactions were cash, and I think it's down to 87% in 2022. So there, there, there is a shift, and uh, particularly in younger age groups, if you look at you know under 50s, that, that uh, change is much more significant. So over time, it is going to change. So we do need safeguards there, because there's always going to be a cohort of people who do not want to uh, use cards and want to have the opportunity at all times to use, use cash. And at some stage, it's going to come to a point where, as you rightly says, market forces and, and companies where cash, cash is paying, you know, uh, we're fortunate, of course, in the case of Wheelands and other pharmacies that are family-owned, family-ran, convenience stores, small businesses, they realise the ethos that underpins rural Ireland and they'll work with it to ensure that there is always cash. But there's corporate companies across all these sectors that won't take the same holistic view. And that's why legislation is needed in this case. One other point, and I'll put this to you, Eamon. Is there any policy decision that would make it easier to accept cash? Uh, for, for instance, maybe um, a cost mitigation or... Uh, yeah, um, yeah, basically banks reducing um, the fees for cash going up, going up like well over 100% in the last few years, but... Banks are private enterprises, so you know what I mean. I know they're partially owned by by us as the, the taxpayer, but like, um, yeah, they could look at that, you know, because that is a challenge for small businesses, you know. And um, but look, yeah, it's like like this percentage of cash for me as a pharmacy, like it's like as the overall business, it's like cash is less than eighty five percent. Sorry, it's less than fifteen percent of our of our takings these days, you know. And like you think of like um. Like I bought Wheelands in 2005, so 18, 19 years ago. And um, what they got it, so we didn't even have the internet in, in the pharmacy at the time. And uh, I remember thinking, I just don't need it, you know. And now this thing, time, t- things change, and like um, we're we're moving with the times as well. Um, as like as Joe um, rightly points out, and I have the same opinion. We do have to to um, to look after like our, you know so, so, like the, the percentage of population that you know, we'll, we'll only use cash, you know, but like, um, but like I'm saying that, like, like for us, like say, and a lot of businesses, like, you know, and same with like, say, you talked about um the the plowing championships, you know, booking online, we're all used to booking online, like for us, like in the pharmacy, like it's been a massive success, like say for flu vaccines, um, we've like um chiropathy service, physio services, beauty services, and they're all booked online now. People can still ring and book, but, um, like it reduces, just reduces calls. Like, like apart from the, so there's lots of cost savings as well. Like in taking calls, like the phone, phone, you know, still always ringing. But like it's, um, 
it's it's a it's a you know and even for us like um, in Wheelands we supply nursing homes and um, we supply over like over warehouse pharmacy on the edge of Mullingar we supply nursing homes all over Ireland and um, what they call it we've uh, pay, uh, like we're actually introducing it only now actually um, you can pay literally a click click and pay you know and um, it saves people you know ringing up ring um, mm-hmm. phoning and we we'd also have the facility where people can leave the cash in the um, in the nursing home or in the pharmacy, if it's a local, if it's a local enough nursing home. But um, so like, and saying that it's two sides of it. There's a big, there's a saving for business as well, and that's obviously why a lot of business want to go card only. But um, and I do like I do agree. Yeah, like you can't like I do think the government you can over legislate as well. You know, I think you can't expect you know like it's up to small coffee shops and other small businesses that are struggling, you know, and like they can't be forcing them, you know, and a lot of pharmacies are struggling as well, you know, like pharmacies haven't had a yeah. increase, we won't go there too much. Yeah, but, you know, but like, I suppose um, there are businesses you know, who will make yeah. uh, their own judgments on whether they can achieve yeah, savings exactly. by going like, you know, I do, I do think businesses that, that ban cash outright, they will, like, they will, um, they will lose a certain amount of people, you know, so, but look, so every business has to balance this, you know, but I do agree with the, for pharmacies and supermarkets, you know, and grocery stores, yeah, it's you know to to protect, you know, because like a lot of them, are, especially in more rural areas, you know, people um, still like to deal in cash, you know, and um, okay. people Just, like a lot of people like to deal in cash for different reasons. I have to bring it, I have to, bring go, it to go a close. With the tax man, but anyway, well, so, let's yeah. not go there. Indeed, I have yeah, to bring yeah, it to yeah, a close. Yeah. But Joe Flaherty, very quickly, uh, and. Uh, person who runs their own supermarket is wondering if there will be a protection on fees because if banks know there are certain categories of business that will be obliged to offer cash then they may be tempted to increase the charges from where they now sit. So would that feature in the legislation in your view? It's a, ver- it's a very good point and you know it's, it's very much early days in this legislation and that's something that will have to come out in the analysis of the legislation but it is very important to, to ensure the safeguards in place that the businesses that are are being you know asked to go with this that they're not penalised financially by doing so On that note we leave it there Joe Flaherty Fianna Fáil TD for Longford Westmeath Eamon Brady of Wheelands Pharmacies in Mullingar thank you both very much indeed 22 minutes past 11 the Health Research Board takes you through its findings about medicinal cannabis after these We're already putting the next Midlands Today show together get your topic included email midlandstoday at midlands103.com Let's talk about medicinal cannabis and a review carried out by the Health Research Board, which has examined not only, um, I suppose, the studies that are very well uh, resourced, primary studies, um, but perhaps those that are difficult to draw well-founded conclusions on. And let's see on balance what we can uh, infer from its findings. Dr. Catherine Lamb is lead author of this new report from the Health Research Board. Catherine, you're very welcome to the programme. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. How much material is available on the subject? It's a good question. So medicinal cannabis is, um, it's it's clearly very topical at the moment. There's a great deal of interest in it um, in Ireland and globally. Um, and the, the literature is expanding all the time. Um, so our review looked at um, 47 reviews that have already been carried out in the area. Um, So some of these reviews were quite wide ranging and some of them focused only on a particular condition. Um, But by doing this, we've been able to cover about 30 years worth of original primary studies on medicinal cannabis. 
So what were the research questions? So our research questions were, we asked, what is the evidence for the clinical efficacy of medicinal cannabis for a range of conditions? Um, So asking, essentially, does it work um, to improve symptoms under lab conditions? And then secondly, we wanted to know what's the evidence for the safety of medicinal cannabis. So are there concerns about side effects or serious side effects um, that we should be aware of? I suppose we should maybe give a little background as to the regulatory position here in Ireland. What sort of conditions is medicinal cannabis used to treat? Really good point. So the the Medical Cannabis Access Programme has been in place since around 2019. Um, and under, the, under that program, a consultant is able to prescribe a cannabis-based product for a patient under a small no- who, are, who is suffering for a small number of conditions, um, only where the patient has not responded to standard treatments. So these conditions, there are three of them. They're spasticity or muscle stiffness associated with multiple sclerosis, nausea and vomiting associated with chemotherapy, and also um, treatment-resistant epilepsy. So what in reviewing all of the studies you mentioned earlier, what conclusions do you draw? Yeah, so our findings indicated that there is evidence to support the use of medicinal cannabis um, for two of these conditions. So nausea and vomiting associated with chemotherapy and spasticity associated with multiple sclerosis. Now, we didn't look directly at epilepsy um, only because our review focused on adults. And most of the literature on epilepsy focuses on children. But we do know from other reviews that um, that certain forms of medicinal cannabis can be effective for epilepsy. Um, And we also found promising evidence for the efficacy of some forms of medicinal cannabis for neuropathic pain or nerve pain. So this is um, a type of nerve pain that people might suffer from um, secondary to things like diabetes, spinal cord injury and some forms of late stage cancer. Now, as you've pointed out, the study highlights a need for more high quality research. So what areas or conditions do you believe would require further investigation? So we know that um, a great deal of um, medicinal cannabis use is related to mental health um, and the literature on on cannabis for mental health at the moment is not as is not as strong as for the other conditions that we've mentioned. Um, so we'd like to see more high quality research done in that area, um, specifically randomized controlled trials. So these are well controlled, well conducted experiments to determine whether it's whether whether the cannabis really is having the effect um, that people think it is having. Um, but clearly, you know, medicinal cannabis is being explored for a very wide range of conditions, um, rheumatic disease, palliative care, um, spinal cord injury. So um, there's, there's a great deal of interest in it for, for many conditions. A lot of people are curious, what does the review say about cancer and whether it can have a role to play in pain management, for instance, or anxiety management? Yeah. So as I say, the the main finding in relation to cancer was to do with that nausea and vomiting that can happen secondary to chemotherapy. Um, And we did find that um, medicinal cannabis can be effective in managing this. Um, For other aspects, um, you know, pain related outcomes um, in cancer and weight gain and weight loss, we found that the evidence isn't particularly strong. Um, and as I say, when we're when we're making 
when we're making representations to policymakers, we really need the strongest evidence possible um, so that they can make informed policy decisions. One other point in your review, some side effects, so dizziness, dry mouth, headache in some instances. How common are these? Yes. Yeah, so what we found was that, um, you know, serious side effects don't appear to be common, but there is a chance of those side effects like dry mouth, um, headache, dizziness and sedation. Um, they're more common in uh, the groups that received cannabis treatment compared with groups that received a placebo. Um, but as I say, they, they don't appear to be um, those serious, those serious side effects. Um, so it's something to be aware of um, for, for doctors and patients alike. Mm. And finally, for policymakers, what recommendations would you make from your review? Yes. So um, at the Health Research Board, what we do is we go out and we discover what is the scientific consensus on these important questions. And we bring that scientific evidence to policymakers. Uh, We don't make recommendations as to what they should do. Um, So as they're making their decision, they need to certainly consider the evidence um, and also take into account um, representations from um, clinicians, patient advocates, health service planners um, to make a fully informed choice. Um, my understanding is that the department is convening a working group to carry out a review of the access program as it currently stands and to make decisions on its future. Um, so we will be there to to provide evidence for that group. One other matter, because a, a few listeners have asked it late in the conversation. The studies you reviewed, who paid for them? Because again, there's a perception perhaps uh, Big Pharma will fund uh, studies to prove that its products work. Is there such a well-resourced effort behind the cannabis industry? It's an interesting question. Um, so we, when we looked at, um, the, at the 47 reviews um, that we included in the, in the study, not all of the reviews reported on who, on who funded the studies that were included. Um, there is certainly, certainly a number of studies that have been carried out that have been funded by, um, by pharma companies and cannabis companies. Um, I would say it's a very mixed bag. And, uh, and yes, people are right to, um, to pay close attention to, to those questions as they're, as they're taking in the, the scientific literature. Dr. Catherine Lamb, thank you very much for your time this morning. And you can find out more at the Health Research Board if you wish to uh, read the review for yourself. The home of the Midlands Today Show. Right here. Let's turn it up. Monday to Friday from 9am. When is the last time you serviced your doors or your windows? Yes, you heard me right. Servicing your doors or your windows. It is something you're supposed to do. But I'd be the first to admit, I don't think I have ever done it. And I've lived in the house for 10 years. Philip Sheridan is here from Sheridan Windows in Tyrrell's Pass. Good morning. Good morning, Will. How are you? I'm in great form. And you shall be at the Midlands 103 Green Home and Energy Show in a few weeks' time in Tullamore. So this concept of servicing... We'll start there, if you don't mind. No, because not at all, Will, yeah. I've, I've heard of servicing cars, yeah, servicing all manner of things. Of course, of course, of course. And listen, we, all, we are all guilty of it. You know, people think if you get new windows and doors in, that's done maybe for 20 or 30 years, you know, finish with them complete. But it's actually not the case, you know, because like you said, there is moving parts in the door. You're using a door many times a day. Mm. Windows, 
as you said before, Will, comes to springtime, you just opened the window when it was closed a couple of months. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's not working. You're wondering why is that? So, again, servants is, is a big part. You know, does that mean just getting out WD forty? I suppose it would be, and like, listen, the basic thing would be like keeping them clean. You know, like we're all guilty again of it. You know, but basically keeping your glass clean, keeping your frames clean, maintain them basically. You know, and you'll get way longer out of them. Mm. You know, than than you you know what you should be getting. You know, so that's and, it, and yeah. doors as well. I'm conscious after a certain amount of time, sometimes they warp. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe again, it's about putting on that extra layer from time to time to make sure there's a barrier. Of course, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose the warping would be traditionally, the, the, maybe the timber doors would traditionally warp and stuff like that. But again, it's it's about getting the correct product for your house and stuff like that, you know. So it's, uh, again, maintaining is, is a big key to it, you know. So you're going to meet all sorts at the Green Home and Energy Show. Some people are perhaps uh, homeowners who 20 or 30 years ago bought their house and maybe mm-hmm. are thinking of replacing. Others will be looking at the new build and what's trending and so on. So let's start with that first category of people. Somebody who put in the double glazing in the 1990s, for instance. And as far as they're concerned, job done. Exactly. How, how much has the tech changed? Oh, it's, it's changed hugely. You know, like, I suppose people 10, 20 years ago got in the double glazing. So they would have replaced the old single glazing, aluminium, condensation problems, got into double glazing, probably thought, listen, that, that'll do me now for, for good, maybe, you know, but... In fairness, the window, okay, might look the same, but it has come on leaps and bounds in terms of thermal efficiency, energy ratings. Uh, the glass has come along so much. Like back in the day, it was probably just a double glazed unit was just glass and glass. Mm. Now it's it's basically energy efficient. So there's a gas between the glass. There's a coatings on the glass. So again, it's all about energy uh, con- conserva- conservation and and this keep- gas is invisible. Actually. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's in between. It's in between. Now again, it looks the same. But again, it's all to keep the heat in your home and don't let it out. That's the purpose of it, you know. So whether you go to double or the triple, you know. So again, the windows have come leaps and bounds. Again, so what motivates the change? Is it somebody who gets the calculator out and figures, well, I'm losing this much heat, so I'm paying for this much fuel, and I therefore will get a return on investment after so many years? Exactly, yeah. I suppose, you know, a lot of people that come to us would actually... Yeah, they would have problems with windows and doors, you know. But then most people would maybe want to change, maybe want mm. to increase their home value, the front door, change the front door, upgrade it, you know. So or is it a plain old-fashioned comfort thing? It could be. Of course it is, yeah, it is. Um, again, maybe the way the old, maybe 20 years ago where design in the windows wasn't a thing, it was a standard window, bars across everywhere, openings ever. Nowadays with the architects and views, it's mostly minimal lines, more glass, you know, you know, people want to see out in their gardens now and stuff like that. So again, it's a change as well. And I suppose another thing would be the safety element. Fire escape wasn't taught back then. With the new regulations in, in new homes now, you have to have a fire exit in in your rooms, in especially your bedrooms. So again, that would be something that homeowners probably want to be thinking about as well. You mm-hmm. know, just God forbid there was a fire in, in, in your home. So again, we do get all them questions when people do come into us. What, for a person in an existing house, mm-hmm. what would be a sign that it's time to replace the windows? What telltale indicators? Again, are again, if if you have single glaze aluminium, that's definitely definitely a non-runner. You have to think about it because you're losing a serious amount of heat. You know, another sign would be listen condensation as well inside drafts, locks, faulty handle locks. Now, they I suppose they can be repaired. Don't get me wrong; we're not trying to mm. sell everything. You know, change your windows. They could be repaired, but again. 
the glass, the frames would have to be in good condition for you to get the benefit out of repair. So again... And with condensation, mm-hmm. let's say you've had insulation recently yeah. put into the walls and mm-hmm. the room is holding more heat. Could that be a reason for condensation? Again, is condensation, it it's a tricky one, condensation. I suppose because all the new homes now are airtight and insulated superbly, condensation is basically moisture in the room that you know, hits a cold surface as, as in your walls, on your windows, and it shows in your windows. Now, people think that actually the windows are actually a problem. Now, the new windows can reduce condensation, but as I say, windows don't produce, mm. you know. So, again, it's a thing with you have to maybe look at ventilation in the morning, especially this cold, cold climate or cold weather we're having. Maybe just in the morning, just open up the window a small bit, get the ventilation into the room, Maybe stop drying clothes, maybe air it out, open the door in your room. And listen, it's all about getting the, the air circulating mm. around the room. And that'll reduce the condensation. Is there much it, demand for windows with vents installed? There would be, yeah. Again, again, it goes back to air circulation, ventilation. That is a huge thing. You know, even new, new houses, you have this, heat, we would call heat recovery, which they're all passive houses, well insulated you have to get the air circulating. So there would be vent. Ventilation is a huge thing, you know. Again, we won't say it's the problem with the window. It's basically, it's your living, your comfort mm. and living, you know. So you mentioned it. earlier this trend that probably the likes of Dermot Bannon have popularised it, where you get a lot of natural light in, reduce the framing mm. on the window. How many varieties of window are there? How much choice? There's there's ample there's ample amount out there. You know, as you say, you look at the Dermot Ban and you know one big seller would be what we call actually a lift and slide door. So basically that would be in new houses in in extension. So basically that they come up to roughly five metres. You might see them only one single bar down, the door opens left to right. So again it's all about getting the views, getting less bars, less minimal fuss. When it comes to windows then again, it's all these picture windows less bar, maybe just one single open, a lot of glass and stuff mm. like that. So that's where we find people are more going into. And but it, if you're in an older house, if you've old-fashioned taste, can you still get oh, something course, more traditional? Of course you can, yeah. And listen, not knocking, not knocking it. Of course, of course, people still love the, the crossbars and maybe the old Georgine and leaded design. There's no problem. You can still get that, of course. I suppose it comes it comes in cycles, you know, mm. it might go back to that as well, you know. So, again, it's just giving everybody, the, the, you know, the variety of stuff to choose from, you know. So we we, we, we try and help everybody in yeah. this regard, you know. If you're staying in the house for life, do it to your own taste. Exactly. If you might be selling it in five years, maybe follow the trend. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, because like I say, it is a big investment in a home, you know. So you want to kind of get it right. Like I say, people that got maybe the windows 20 years ago, they probably thought at that time they didn't, they weren't going to, have to fork out again you know but with this new type windows out and insulation and U-value U-value is a thing now that people talk about a lot it's keeping the heat loss through, through, through your window down so again you're going back to that but it is a significant investment if you're going to do it you know Connor wants to talk about security we've mentioned comfort and energy savings and so on but we're living in an age where people feel a little more vulnerable in their homes so windows Composite doors. Talk to us about some of the options. Yeah, I suppose, listen, the security is, listen, we all know who's out there and getting into houses, um, especially this time of year around Christmas, you know. So security is a big thing. Again, what we have in the market is basically what we call a Palladio Composite Door. So that's basically an upgrade of your PVC or timber. So what it is, it's a 10-point locking system on it, typically as a standard. So security on these doors, you know, top-notch. Once anybody burglars see these, they don't go near them. 
they'll try something else you know so that would be a big seller for us at the moment again it comes in a lot of choice and colour glass designs we actually have um, on our website we, you can design your door so basically you go in design your door so you can put different colours different glass types maybe you want a letterbox maybe you want a knocker and you can actually photoshop this into your home and you can actually see a picture of your home see what it looks like so again there's plenty of choice in colour but again security would be big because your old door maybe would only have a kind of a roller latch on them so to be honest you would get not scaring people but you would get in easy enough than you think you know so yeah. again you have to look at that maybe see what kind of locks you have on your doors I'd hate for you to come to my house do a demo <laughs> Well, we will see you at the Green Home and Energy Show in the Tullamore Court Hotel in just a few weeks' time. If you want to pick his brain, he shall be there along with the whole team from Sheridan Windows. Philip Sheridan, thank you very much Thanks indeed. Me. Thanks very much, Will. Thank and you. if you think anybody needs to hear this again, just check out the Listen Back section of midlands103.com or indeed follow our socials. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner with the stories beyond the headlines. Midlands 103 Settle an argument. How often should you get your chimney sweeped? Or swept, as the case may be. Well, 083 30 10 103. What's the answer to the question? We'll give you the answer in just a few minutes because I want to introduce you to Dave Walsh of Dave's Chimney Repairs in County Offaly. How are you, sir? Grand willing, Jeff. And you will be also at the Midlands 103 Green Home and Energy Show with thanks to Electric Ireland Superhomes. 18th of February, that's a Sunday, Tullamore Court Hotel. And your main business would be, you do a lot of repairs of chimneys. What does the damage in the first place? Yeah, well, the damage is done by a build-up of crease so in the flue liner, like from the, somebody, a lot of people, what they do is they're using a cooker and, or a stove and they close it down at night time and they leave the, you know, a few sides of turf smaller along there. And there'll be, you know, moisture in the turf that goes up and as it goes up through the chimney, then it turns to uh, water and mm. then sticks to the side of the chimney and then the, it holds the, the soot and it's in the, the fumes like going up sticking to the side eventually that builds up and what you do is it's building up for oil next thing you have a hot fire on one of the days and up the she goes the fire goes up the chimney and you might need to be aware of it but it does a lot of damage like you know so this is like tar so how do you get rid of it yeah well the secret to it is very simple really you just uh, keep your fire burning hot and then let it burn out don't have it smoldering like if you was you've burning two or three sods a day and there's but this little fire is in the chimney in the in the cooker like and uh, there's a bit of steam coming up along with it and it's going slowly up through the chimney. That's the one that builds up the tar on the side. Whereas if you were burning a hot fire, the fire is hot and the steam is going up faster through the chimney and it's not cooling down. And then you, it keeps the liner dry mm. and then the, the stuff burns off as it goes, like you know. Are some fuels a bigger culprit than others? Ah, well, John, it's a lot of kind of trying to stretch the fuel the way the cost of living is now. Like, yeah. you know, it's expensive to burn fuel. Like, so everybody's trying to get the best economy out of it. Like, so you know you're damned I mean? if you do. Yeah, that's it. Don't. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like it's part of life, especially in the Midlands for is it's very common. <clears throat> Most of the fires in the country, it's said, are more so in the Midlands area because there's a lot more turf mm. and like there's always moisture in turf. And that's kind of the one that builds up the creosote, like, you know. So trying to keep the fire as hot as possible and then good practice late at night. What would you Yeah, do? it's kind of, I suppose it's kind of time in your fire, like whichever time of the day is probably better to get more efficiency, maybe the evening time or whatever, to get the fire up mm. and then let it burn out through, through the night so it's not smalled and over the night, like, you know. 
So prevention is better than cure. But yeah. let's say that ship has already sailed. You've got a problem. You yeah. call Dave. Yeah. What do you need to do to get rid of it? Well, to get rid of the crease out, you can use uh, bluestone. That's stuff you can throw into the fire. It dries up the crease mm. on the side of it. Do you know? But um, and brush it, brush it twice a year. Do you know if if it's if there's a lot if you're burning a lot of fuel. Uh, if you brush it twice a year, you're fairly safe as well. Like it'll keep it from building up. Say the lad leaves it for two or three years before he brushes the chimney. Then she's given a good plenty of time to build up in the side of the flue liner, like you know. So twice a year, yeah. what time? They're about sick, you know. Like uh, say the winter time and hmm. the end of the summer or whatever, you know. Yeah, because I always yeah. notice when when we come to autumn and the fire hasn't been on in a few months, there's always a bird who's built a nest. Yeah. The moment you light the fire, it all goes up. That's it, like, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are different times when there's bigger risks than others. Yeah. If you have tar coming through the wall, yeah. what does that indicate? Well, that's kind of like where you've had your fire and the fire has cracked the liner because if you think about it, the crease that was in the flue liner, it's not going to get outside the flue liner unless there's damage to the flue liner. So what's happened there is you've had your fire in the chimney and then it's cracked the liner and then right. it's just pushed out through the filling, out to the block, out through the block. And that's the way it goes, like, you know. There's only one direction for it, like, you know. So that's a expensive repair? Yeah, well, like, let's say 99% of the work we do is insurance work, like. So if the house is insured, it's fire damage and their insurance covers fire damage. Right. So we have our own assessors and we bring them in and they assess the cost end of it and get the money off the insurance to cover the cost of doing the repair work. So that's a new flue in effect then? Yeah, just, just pull out everything, pull out the flue liner and the filling and uh, put in new flue liners, new filling. And are they standard or are there different qualities of flue liner? Yeah, there's all sorts of different types, like you have flexi liners, you have uh, ceramic liners, clay liners, you have uh, single wall steel liners, you know, so it's really, you have twin wall liners then as well, so there's a lot of different types out there. Do you know, but it's what comes into play when you decide which it, one is best? Well, it depends on which is more suitable. Like you know, it depends on let's say whether it's an open fire cooker, stove, uh, or the size of the the unit you're using. Like you know, and the heat output and stuff like that. Like you know, right? So you yeah. need to know what you're doing. Yeah. Let's talk about chimney cracks. What's likely caused that to happen? Yeah, well, the chimney cracks. It's simple enough as well. It's expansion and contraction, say from heat. Like if you think about you have your your chimney is built in masonry work most of the time, block work. So, like, that's going to expand and contract. Uh, so, like, if you have, even just using the, the stove or the cooker, regardless to whether you have uh, a fire in it or not, you still have heat and contraction. Yeah. It's going from low temperature to high temperature into the block work. So, that's causing expansion and contraction. But, like, the, the damage with the cracks is caused when you have a very high temperature that builds up very quickly. And then it cracks the liner and then the heat goes out through the block, cracks the block. Right, so there's yeah. a difference between settling cracks, for instance. And yeah, settlement would be a different thing. It's It's got to do with, say, the ground, the, the strength of the ground that's holding the weight that's on it. Like, whereas this is, that's kind of a weight thing, whereas the chimney is a heat thing. So you know? the advice there, obviously, is to, going back to what you said earlier, have a yeah. reasonably hot fire on, but not one that's too hot. Yeah, that's it, like, you know, but you're, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Like, you know, it's just kind of one of them things, like, you know, but if you keep within reason, everything, you know, not too extreme, then you shouldn't have a problem, like, you know. And if you've cracked your chimney, is that again more often than not an insurance claim? 
Yeah, that would be fire damage again, like, you know. Because uh, it's obviously the extreme heat of fire that causes the crack, like, you know. And uh, you go back to the insurance. Like, a lot of the problems we'd have with cracks would be in the stack, which is outside of the roof. So it's more exposed to the extremes of the temperature. Like, in, in the wintertime, obviously, you have cold, frost, this, that, and the other. Summertime, you have you have uh, the sunshine and you have heat temperatures going up and this, that, and the other. So, plus, you have, say, when you have the wintertime, you have the frost and you have the fire going up through it. So you have the thing is cold, next thing the fire goes up, she gets hot very quick. Mm. And that's what causes the cracks, like, you know. Lots of people want to pick your brain. Uh, yeah. They will have a chance to do so at the Green Home and Energy Show. But a few have asked if you have a bad draw, is there anything you can add that will improve it? Yeah, well, the bad draw is, is a lot has got to do with the atmosphere, like, you know, and the height of the chimney outlet, say, in regard to the ridge of the roof. Like, if you're... you're the top of your outlet, the chimney is supposed to be 500 mil over the ridge of the roof uh, to allow for, say, a pressure of air and wind mm. blowing in different directions. Uh, but, see, the pro- a lot of problems would be, say, where the outlet of the chimney would be lower than the ridge of the roof, so it's causing an air pressure, and the air pressure is pushing the, the smoke back down into the house, like, you know. Uh, Could it happen as well when you built the house and trees were small, but they've matured over the years and you get lots right, of trees yeah. surrounding them? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the atmosphere as well. Like, for there's you have the pressure, of the wind blowing against the trees, and it's causing a downdraft. Like, you know, I've seen people put on electric cowls and things like that. Do they make much of a difference? Oh, they do. Yeah, but electric cowl is it's good for pulling the stuff up. Like, that pulls the the heat up through it as well. Like, you know what I mean? So it's kind of something you have to keep in yeah, yeah. as well. You know, you win some, you lose some. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. We look forward to having you at the Midlands 103 Green Home and Energy Show. Again, it's the 18th of February. And if you want more details, just go to midlands103.com. Or if you want to chat to Dave, Dave, how can you be reached? Uh, you can reach me on uh, 086 811 That's the phone. And uh, you can get me on uh, uh, CelticDevelopmentsLimited.com or DavesChimneyRepair.com. Any chance you come in Wednesday mornings, 20 past 10, replace Mr. Clunan? Oh, sure. I left eleven. Mr. Clown, he's good. <laughs> I won't tell him you said that. Dave, thanks very much. Brian Clunan shall be here at 20 past 10 tomorrow morning. Thank you very much for listening. Sinead Hubble put it all together, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Midlands Today with Bus Erin. Use your TFI Young Adult or Students Leap Card on board Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit buserin.ie today.